out now on Press Gang Records, Buffalo, New York's Wrong the Oppressor Cassette. Ellis Horse, The Project from the Minds of Rob Antonucci, and Ryan Hex Cannabis, available on all streaming platforms. War self-titled 7-inch, available in black and coke bottle clear. Pick these up at PressGangRecordsUS.LimitedRun.com Welcome to Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Lyons. Tonight, my guest is going to be Andy Corpus. We'll be talking about 12 Tribes, as well as some other uh, cool experiences he had throughout the world of underground music. Uh, as always, give the podcast a uh, follow on Facebook and Instagram at Enterprise Hardcore Podcast, on Twitter at Podcast Hardcore. Uh, shout out to all the pa Patreon supporters. Uh, we're going to have some video stuff coming soon and a bunch of other stuff. And speaking of video, uh, there's still a GoFundMe launched, uh, trying to get some video equipment for future episodes. So uh, much appreciated. People have been supporting and sharing that. But yeah, like I said, this is episode 91. Uh, so my guest is going to be Andy Corpus. Uh, I actually uh, did a few shows for his band here uh, years ago, so I'm sure we'll talk about that. Um, but yeah, he played in 12 tribes and ended up uh, teching for a bunch of bands, too. So I'm sure we're going to talk about those experiences, too. So with all that being said, how's everything going for you tonight, Andy? Good, man. Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate you having me on. I've been looking forward to this. Uh, I was saying earlier, it's, it's fun to think about these old times, and you know, it's half a lifetime ago, so you kind of gotta kind of go kind of gotta go back. But yeah. Well, speaking of going back, we you and I were talking off air. I didn't realize we were the same age. I, like I said to you before, I thought you were a couple years older than me, but. Uh, I guess we'll kind of start there. I know 12 tribes is like from Ohio. So is that where you were originally from or? Yeah, I was, uh, I'm, I'm born and raised in Dayton, Ohio. It's where I live currently. Um, yeah, I was born in, in 1980. Um, my, let's see, my parents, uh, were like, uh, my, they were super religious, right? Uh, my dad, less so than my mother my mother was uh born and raised in this kind of really weird pseudo-christian religion they called it uh, christian science um 
which is a fucking trip, man. It, it's it's really uh, out there. Um, my dad just like converted. He was like pretty much a normal dude. But uh, in terms of music in my house, like my mom, like my mom to this day has no clue about popular culture. If I, like maybe she knows who like uh, Mick Jagger is or like you know El- like something like that. Uh, but she, I, like David Bowie, I, I think I mentioned him the other day. She's like, what? You know, like like so there wasn't a lot of. Uh, she wasn't big on like popular music. My dad. Uh, my dad is from uh, North Pittsburgh. I used to tease him. He was like uh, one of the first like white dudes that like thought he was like a black dude, <laughs> which he <laughs> he didn't really get. But he like he liked uh, Earth, Wind and Fire and uh, Lenny Williams and uh, Teddy Pendergrass and uh, Luther Vandross, stuff like that. Kind of like 70s R&B. And so uh, that's what I associate with my like early years, like uh like Saturday mornings, you know what I mean? Like around the house. Uh, that's kind of what was playing. But my mom, um, she played piano and uh, she forced that upon me. Uh, you know, I say that kind of like tongue in cheek because uh, it was actually a great thing to, to have your, you know, your kid do. Um, <clears throat> so maybe when I was five, uh, she made me start taking piano lessons. And it was our next door neighbor actually uh, actually did him, and she was an older lady, and she was kind of kind of stern, and uh, I just wasn't into it. Like it's like the last thing I wanted to do, you know. I wanted to run around and play guns and play basketball and things like that. But she uh, she made me, you know, I, I did it for like five years. I did it for a long time. So when um, we moved, we moved into a, a different house, and in the garage there was this. Uh, guitar there's like an acoustic guitar you know like like a garage guitar like the strings are super rusty and whatnot but i was able to uh kind of pick it up and um play around with it and stuff like so like i'll go back a little bit like in terms of like by this time this is like 1990 right so by by this time think of like early music like I, i i don't ever remember not hearing rap music um i had friends with older brothers there were these kids that lived catacorner to us with like five older brothers you know the oldest probably being 18 to down 16 14 you know 12 and so we we were like eight so i remember like they would dub tapes um so i remember like ice tea power big daddy kane long live the kane uh public enemy fear of a black planet uh all that stuff um there was a there was like a music store like a, do you remember Video Town? Did you guys have that? It was like a chain. It was like a chain video store, but they also had CDs and they had stuff like that. And when we would we would walk home from elementary school, I lived close enough to where we didn't have to ride the bus. But there was this uh, music store, and I remember like every day we would go in and we would flip through the CDs. Remember when CDs came in those big boxes like that? And I was really just looking at at butts, man. Like the Two Life Crew record was on there, and I was just like so captivated. Like the you know the the whole Tipper Gore parental advisory was a big idea. Like it was like it was like a big deal then. You know what I mean? So I was just like, like I don't know. I I, I was just uh, I don't, I think like little boys sometimes are just interested in bad shit. You know what I mean? And that's kind of where I was with it. So, um, wait, hold on a second. Did you buy it? 
Did you buy the? DVD? No, no, no. I would just look at it. I don't yeah. think you're you're allowed to buy it. I just look at it. You know what I mean? And like the, I think the the titles were like like maybe like crossed out or they had the little you know like exclamations or whatever. I was just like, man, this is so cool. I think NWA was out at that time. Uh, Guns and Roses, you know, uh, Appetite for Destruction had come out at that time. Um, I remember. You know the picture on the back of of that where they're all sitting on the carpet and they just look all strung out and just like I just remember thinking like this shit is so cool. Uh, Motley Crue had come out at that time. Same thing, just the dudes with tattoos. In fact, so my I have uh, some saved schoolwork. My mom like my mom's a teacher, so she would uh, save our schoolwork. And there's this little like uh, family crest, right? It's like a shield and it's divided into six sections and. They have questions on the back. Who's your favorite family member? What's your favorite place to go over the summer? What's your favorite food? Blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? And it's like, uh, like a taco, my, my pet dog, my little sister, whatever, you know, whatever it was. And there was no attention to anything. Uh, it was just like scribbled on there. But then the last question said, what do you want most that you don't already have? And again, going back to those big uh, rectangular boxes, I just drew the cover of Motley Crue, Dr. Feelgood, with the utmost attention to every detail. Uh, I just thought that shit was so cool. Um, so yeah, that was kind of like my early, my early music. So going back to that, so I pick up the guitar and uh, I've got this ear. Uh, you know, I've been playing music. I, I like my mom is uh, just kind of a strict lady. She's like, you know, I'm practicing every day. I'm practicing, you know, all the scales, all that stuff. So I have this dexterity in my hands and I can pick up the guitar quick and I can pick out these, these notes and these songs and, and whatever it is. And uh, I, one of the, you know, these kids that live cat corner to me, one of their older brother plays and he can show me an E chord, a G chord, a power chord. Uh, and that just, uh, that just made it, so much more appealing you know what i mean you can you can actually do stuff that you're into uh you know i, I want to say that nirvana bleach record was out and that stuff is so you know it's very like rudimentary you know but but it still makes it so that you can play something that you're listening to and something that sounds cool so that's uh that's kind of where that started so then from there like how did you kind of get exposed to more like heavier like punk and hardcore and even metal stuff i guess especially being in dayton i'm guessing it was the scene was kind of already budding there by then um well um okay so do you remember there was metal maniacs uh metal maniacs was a, a pretty underground uh metal publication that you could buy anywhere at the time you could buy it at kroger or meyer or whatever you know your local grocery store is and you know they'd have uh they'd have pantera on the cover or they would have uh uh you know th these kind of big bands like that but they would also get pretty deep into the underground stuff uh mike williams from i hate god was was an editor his longtime girlfriend uh alicia i can't remember her name <laughs> but she was deep in all that underground stuff um so you know at that time this is this is 91 92 something like that and uh all the black metal stuff is going on all the new orleans stuff is going on pantera is huge 
and that guy's wearing agnostic front shirts and Chromag shirts and, uh, you know, nausea shirts, um, discharge, all that stuff. Uh, that's so, man, I just feel like a lot of people will say this, the t-shirts that you see people wearing, like that was such a, and it, like, you know, you, you would delve to find out what that's all about. You know what I mean? Uh, Phil from Pantera wearing uh, those, those I Hate God shirts and Crowbar shirts and stuff like that. Um, so anyway, Metal Maniacs was a, was a part of it. And then there was this public access TV show called Metal Mania, uh, which is kind of funny. Um, and they, I, I just, I remember turning on you know, just like scrolling through the TV, like with the knob one day, you know, and uh, so I, I want to say it was uh, the video from Metallica one was on there. Uh, we didn't have cable, but we had this this public access. And I was just like, wow, this is the next. Uh, this is a lot different than the Motley Crue and the, and the whatever, you know, I'd, I'd heard at the time. So I lived a, a street away from the public library. You could cut through my backyard. And I would, I would be right there and they had the old records. Uh, so I would just flip through the records and I would take home whatever looked cool. Um, the big, you know, at the time, like Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, Anthrax. Uh, I just remember getting all of those at once and putting on Justice for All. And I put it on, uh, it was a double LP, right? Uh, so I put it on the second side of the first record and... Uh, what the fuck is the name of that song? It was the third song on the record. It, it wasn't blackened, but uh, it, was, it just uh, it just blew my mind. It was so heavy, and I was like, yo, this is exactly um, what I've been looking for. Like that just connected. I was like, this is it. What's really ironic is that James Hetfield, his uh, his parents were Christian Scientists as, as well. I didn't find that out till way way later. But there's a certain uh, there's a certain isolation. There's a there's a really um, crazy uh, ex experience growing up in that. It's unlike anything else. Uh, just having that uh, that weird religion. It's like almost culty. Be part of your life. And I like so I, I found that out like later, like once the internet came out and shit. And I was like, oh damn, that that makes a lot of sense too. That I was so connected uh, lyrically and just uh, whatever angst or whatever you want to say being a little kid listening to that <clears throat> did you have to go to like any sort of like different kinds of schools or anything or were you going to like public schools no so i went to public school uh but you know like a lot of kids at our church their parents would like take them out of health class what, what was really interesting is you're just like um you know i i didn't have a it wasn't like uh it wasn't like a hallelujah crazy like oh but it was it was based on like metaphysics and all this weird shit. And basically the idea being that if uh, if there was like that God made everything perfect, and if there was any sort of turmoil, any sort of whatever, then it was on you because you're not the one wrecking. You're not like getting this message from God or whatever. Uh, and they also don't take medicine. That was the other yeah. thing. Yeah, they don't take any medicine. That's so. I'm, uh, I, but I'm thinking this is the first time I'll ever probably bring up Jim Henson on this podcast and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. only an ever time I read his biography as I t told you within the last few days I have kids so right. when we first had my son I read that biography probably four years ago and that I think that was my first time ever honestly reading about Christian science because I think 
Jim Henson towards the end of his life had converted, or maybe his whole life was a Christian science, but he wouldn't, I think that's a religion, right? Are, are, do you know yeah, that? Or? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, he, and, you, and I think that's where you're going with that, because he wouldn't take the medicine at the end, and he ended up passing away from uh, cancer or whatever. Bro, this is uh, not to get, like, too morbid, and uh, but my grandma, uh, my little sister and I lived with my grandma for a period of time when my family, when my folks were going through some stuff, and uh, she got stomach cancer. Uh, she was a Christian scientist as well, my mom's mom, and didn't treat it. Uh, I guess stomach cancer is pretty gnarly, and... Uh, then my parents moved in and helped to take care of her. And dude, she would just scream. She would just like lay at night and just like screaming in pain and crying. And my parents, um, you know, my sister and I shared a room next to my parents' room and they were just this kind of, you know, that like just monotone prayer. Oh, father, our father, Richard. And, uh, and like that association. I mean, dude, my mom, you know, her lungs collapsed. She went with this crazy stuff, not treating it like, yeah, it was, it was crazy. It was, it was definitely, uh, definitely made me feel different. Like, and which is, I think what attracted me so much to this other, you know, this little subculture that we eventually got into. Um, so, uh, let's see. I get, I know, I knew at this time, like, like, uh, uh, we'll, we'll go back to into, into one more thing, an, another influence. So I, I went to this, you know, just regular s suburban public school, uh, small. Uh, it kind of has the reputation of being very, like, very white, very preppy. You know that kid Brock Turner that just got off for he did like four weeks for raping a girl. This is like where this little dirt bag went to high school. So that's like, uh, you know, obviously he's like the worst case scenario, but it kind of had this shitty reputation so there are very few people that are into the heavy stuff uh the underground stuff at all uh you know pantera's big at this time so there are some jocks rocking pantera shirts and stuff which i just i hated uh so one day this kid shows up and he's got a biohazard shirt on him he's new i'm in seventh grade he's in eighth grade he's this little short italian dude he what he spoke with his like brooklyn accent he was he was from fucking detroit but uh, i don't know he uh so we hit it off he showed me a bunch of stuff he had crowbar and morbid angel and you get it in deicide and obituary all the all the stuff which i like i was i was familiar with it i was familiar with it from like the blue grape catalog you know what i mean you saw all those shirts those spreads that they would do in in guitar magazines and in the the metal magazines and all that, but he actually had the music. So I would borrow all that stuff. And I was just, uh, I was obsessed. Um, then I got in a, I got in a little bit of trouble. Um, just like, you know, shit with, uh, like, I don't know, smoking weed and drinking and shit like that. I was young, you know what I mean? I was like 12, 13. My parents sent me to this, um, it's kind of like a camp for um i want to say like uh just it's just like positivity it has something to do with their religion too but it was just like uh character building that's the word i'm looking for right uh it was very summer campy uh i was kind of dreading it so uh roll up get in the cabin and there's this kid this kind of fat chubby kid 
shaved head, bleached jeans, boots, braces. And he's like, his name's Angus McPherson. He's like, yeah, he's like, uh, I'm a skinhead. And I was like, uh, like, you know, same, same thing. I think most people would say, I was like, Oh, well that's, that sucks. And he was like, no, you know, explain it all this and that. And he was like, what are you into? And I'm telling him this stuff. And he's like, Oh, that's, that's trash. I'm like, uh, so, uh, you know, we would, we would listen to music in the cabin. All the other kids are like just normal kids, uh, going to summer camp and, and we are pushing this music on everyone. Cause you know, like if you, I, I just always want to hear my music and he always wants to hear his music. And, uh, I'm not really loving the ska. Um, the oi stuff is just like pretty dingy at the time. You know what I mean? Like I'm already into the, I'm already playing music and I'm into the technicality of all that. So I'm just kind of like, uh, I don't know about this, but I had this, uh, this little machine head, like three song single that they released. And it had, you know, like Davidian and it had something else. And then it had a live cover of Hard Times, uh, their cover of the Chromax. And he was like, well, you know, this was the Chromax. And I was like, uh, what? You know, and he was like, look, the Chromax. He's like, then, you know, like the CD books, this kid had like all of it. He had all this stuff. So he's like, yo, Chromax, Murphy's Law, Agnostic Front, uh, Warzone, uh, even like, like, you know, he showed me Operation Ivy. I, I had known Rancid. I loved Rancid. Uh, they were blowing up at the time. Uh, that was like the one exception of all that stuff that I liked. I didn't like the offspring. I didn't like the green day. I didn't whatever else was going on, but I thought Rancid was cool. I, I think really just because of how they looked, you know? Uh, and uh, so, yeah, he put me into all that. And uh, I'd, I'd come back and uh, I'd like just been dealing with this. My mom was sick. I was getting high. I was getting fucked up. I was drinking and I would like hide, you know, I'd go to my room. I would just like, cause I didn't want to get caught. And, uh, she was going through some pretty bad, uh, health struggles. And uh, I felt a lot of guilt from it. You know, I was like, oh, this is, you know, it's my mom. And so I come back and my friend Eddie is like, Hey, he's like, guess what? He's like, I'm straight edge now. He's like, I met these dudes I've been hanging out with over the summer. He's like, I'm straight edge. And I was like, me too. <laughs> so, uh, at that point, you know, I was, I was, I'd gotten into the, you know, the hardcore stuff. I knew what straight edge was. Uh, we had been to some little, uh, there was like local shows, uh, but they weren't really like hardcore shows. Um, but there were straight edge kids there. It was like, it was kind of like, I don't know, man, these like Hessian bands, like, like Dayton, Ohio bands, like, uh, kind of the pre, it was like pre new metal, you know what I mean? But like, it was definitely like, like Hessians. Uh, so anyway, I knew what that stuff was. And, uh, one of the first real shows like that we went to like a, like a hardcore show, this is appropriate for this podcast was a uh, despair in this little room. And, uh, they were so fucking good and they were so, uh, you know, the, the whole vibe of everything. Dayton had a very big, uh, I'll even say big, you know, like, like for the time it was big, but even comparatively it was big. Uh, there are a ton of straight edge kids. But yeah, I guess kind of jumping forward a little bit with 12 tribes, like, uh, well, I guess, first of all, I never realized you had played in a bunch of other bands before. Like, were there other like, like projects that you did before you started 12 tribes or did you kind of. That was oh, just that. And that was nothing. That was just some bullshit. You know what I mean? That was like, uh, 
we play some local shows, uh, things like that. You know, we play like a little local fest. I don't even remember who would have who would have played. The I just wasn't into that. Uh, one of the other local bands broke up. Uh, I'd become friends with some of these kids, you know, just by going to shows and whatnot. Uh, kind of lived in opposite parts of town, but we we were cool, and uh, so we decided to do uh, to do this band. Uh, I didn't know Adam at the time. Uh, but the other guys did. They were like, yeah, this guy, Adam's going to come. Um, I had seen Adam around. Adam was definitely like, by this time, he was just like the cool guy. Uh, Adam had an older brother, Jesse, who, uh, who was considerably, I mean, not considerably, he's five years older. I don't, I don't really know. But the point being, Adam had been going to shows since he was 12 or 13. And he just knew all these guys. Adam Jackson, to this day, has an air about him, man. He's, he's, the best at everything. He's always been the best at everything. Whatever the dude does, he's hyper intellectual. He's super fucking smart. He's got a good personality. Like he's he's thoughtful when he speaks. But he was the best artist. He was the best at graffiti. He was the best skater. He was the best whatever the fuck. Uh, and at, yeah, then he became the best singer. I mean, he. Uh, so we would do these little practices, uh, and it came together pretty quickly. I think we uh, we switched out some some drummers pretty quick. I mean, like right at the beginning, uh, you know, God, maybe we had three guitar players at first. May oh, dude, we had two singers at first. This other kid named Tim came to some practices, and uh, Adam put that to bed pretty quick. He was like, I'm going to be the front man. I'm going to do this. Um, we played some weird shows early on. Uh, we were like what we were into at the time um a lot of uh you know the victory stuff was big that it just kind of uh that, that was blowing up at the time but what we really liked from that was bloodlet um i remember seeing those guys play they were on tour, tour with uh entombed and hate breed and you know i, I mean everyone kind of had a look you know like that bleached hair and the vegan windbreaker and the choker and and the, the bandana you know what i mean and those guys just came out with dreads the guitar player just chain smoked the whole time and would stick his cigarette on the on the clipped guitar string and keep playing and ring out a note grab it and like take a drag off his cigarette they just had this different vibe uh overcast was the other one um overcast played a show in dayton i did not see it I've never seen Overcast, one of my favorite bands of all time. We've played with them a couple times, and I just didn't see them. Uh, but uh, that kind of vibe, you know what I mean? A little more metal. Um, so also at this time, there was this kind of uh, migration. A lot of the older kids had moved to Florida. Uh, some of them moved to Gainesville. And a couple of these kids who played in a band, uh, that was that was big at the time they, they had broken up a few years ago but they their name still kind of rang out they were called outcast um they did a split with zeo early on um and uh their bass player kevin and their drummer matt had moved down to fort lauderdale and they were in morning again kevin byers was the singer for morning again so those guys had uh these roots so morning again was a big one too culture that was a big one too um 
again, guys that had roots in, in, in our scene in Dayton, uh, Skid Floyd, uh, that guy Rich, um, they were all kind of, we knew those guys. So it was extra cool. Um, so that is kind of the segue into what had happened next. Again, like we were, we played, we, we, maybe the third or fourth show we ever played was with Cold as Life, Blood for Blood, and Reach the Sky. Uh, do you remember that there was another uh, Detroit band called uh, Hate Incorporated? And there was this fucking behemoth man, this dude, they, I think they called him the Beast. Um, it was just, he looked like Goldberg, like, like for the, the wrestler is fucking huge. And we were like, yo, this is so, you know, we're like rolling around on the ground, like doing that weird, you know, like mid, late 90s, like kind of just like, double shit I, I don't know even what to call it it was silly it was just like this little immature band anyway so uh morning again comes to town and we play that show and uh kevin uh their singer is like yo this guy john is running eulogy he's uh he's he's interested in signing you guys i've, I've talked a lot about you uh we had recorded a, a demo maybe a couple demos at this time uh, pretty rough, but, uh, you know, a decent representation of what we were doing. And, uh, John had heard it. He was stoked to see it. So we play it's a big show too. Like, you know, for, for that time, fucking blow it. Oh, we, we played so bad out of tune the whole time. It was just, it was awful. And, uh, then John comes up, he's like, yeah, it was great. He's like, let's, let's do it. Let's sign you guys. We're like, shit. So, uh, <laughs> so Right around that time, we uh, kind of, I don't really understand why it happened or, or what, but uh, we lost a couple members again. Uh, we lost our uh, guitar player, Matt, and uh, our drummer, our drummer, Kevin. This will come around again later. This is kind of a weird story. And uh, so we got these other two kids, uh, Jason, or I'm sorry, Steve and Alex, uh, both who, uh, we, I mean, you know, everyone knows each other. It's a very incestuous little scene. They'd all played in bands together. All these dudes had done on this. Uh, so we recorded, uh, we recorded uh, what was going to be Feathers to Flowers with our friend Chris. Uh, Chris, I'll go back a little bit, moved into my... Okay, my grandmother's house where we grew up, he moved into the house next door. Uh, his dad did sound at this local club. Uh, Chris had a ton of recording equipment. He had a drum set. I mean, Chris is younger than me, so I was maybe 13, and Chris was 11. I, I don't even think he was in middle school yet. He was a fucking baby. And uh, we, would, we played in this little band. Uh, we would play Misfits covers. Uh, it was pretty bad. Um, um, but anyway, fast forward, Chris, Chris, uh, had kind of learned a little bit of engineering and he recorded this, uh, this record for us, sent it to eulogy. And they were like, no, this sounds terrible. Uh, we're going to re-record it. So we went to another studio, re-recorded it. Side note that this kid, Chris, uh, eventually did really well. I, I want to play, I want to say that he was in these arms are snakes. Uh, he was in that band, like uh, Le Butcherette or something like that. It's not something I'm super familiar with, but I know that they toured with Faith No More. I want to say that currently he still runs, he still uh, works in a studio 
I think that he co-owns with uh, the guy from the Mars Volta. Chris actually did really well in the industry and uh, has, has done a lot of good work. So uh, it's okay if you blew the first uh, first 12 tribes recording. So anyway, yeah, we put that out. Uh, we recorded it, re-recorded it, sent it back. Eulogy put it out. And uh, so we. this is like we had just uh, – I'm just graduating from high school at this time, okay? Uh, and uh, they're like, all right, we're going to go on tour. I was like, fuck yeah. Like, you know, like, like immediately, like right after we graduated high, from high school, they're going to go on tour. And John, John Wiley, who ran Eulogy, he was like, all right, there's this band from down here from Fort Lauderdale. That's really good. Um, we're going to set up these shows for you guys up along the East Coast uh, and have at it. And so that band was Poison the Well. Um, so uh, hit it off really well with those kids, did that tour with them. Um, the only two people in that band that were, you know, that became the, the poison in the well, as we know it, were their guitar player, Ryan and their drummer, Chris, they had, uh, they had two singers, which was a very in vogue thing at the time. Uh, some other guys, all, all great guys. Uh, they had that record out on good life. I think it was like a five song, uh, five song EP, but we, yeah, we, we headed off with those guys. So uh, we go back home. Uh, Adam, our singer, uh, starts college. And uh, so he's really only available to tour in, uh, in breaks, uh, summers, and then, you know, winter breaks and things like that. So that next winter, we go back on tour with Poison the Well and uh, play out in the East Coast uh, a little bit more. I want to say we meet some fucking sky came falling maybe some unearth some people kind of like linked into that uh that eulogy good life uh you know maybe some a little bit of i think we played with torn apart or something like that you know um just like kind of linking this in a little bit more um so yeah and that's definitely that that this this version of poison the well is with jeffrey and uh is, is the kind of more like the the reincarnation that we know um we write five more songs and we go record them down in fort lauderdale at the studio where they record um all the all the fort lauderdale, lauderdale bands record there at the time uh morning again records there uh, we're fearing weapons meet. Um, who else were the bands? Poison the Well, obviously. Fuck. There's some other ones, but uh, a shy lewd recorded there. Um, so we drive to my, you know, it's not Miami, it's Fort Lauderdale. We stay there, um, and we record the instruments record, um, four songs and a fifth no more cover. That comes out in the summer, and that's uh, we do an, yet another tour with Poison Well, and they've they've released uh, opposite of December at this time. They're going out uh, about every weekend now, and they're starting to play with like some uh, Stretch Armstrongs and some Brothers Keepers, and uh, there's a lot of hype for sure. You know, um, the first show that we play is in Miami, uh, Fort Lauderdale, Vero Beach, whatever fucking Club Q. It's a pretty uh, pretty famous venue down there 
it's packed, a huge show, kids go nuts, but it's also their hometown show. So it's kind of what we expect. And as we go up the coast, every show is just like getting better, better than that, you know, and the momentum is building and more kids are coming. Atlanta, you know, these, these, these major cities that we're hitting, it's hundreds of kids coming out. And, uh, and then you get up into the Northeast, into the New Jersey's and all that. So that's where we meet the guy, you know, Josh from Trustkill, Carl Severson, um, going into Hellfest in 2000, where just everyone at the time, like any band that's doing shit is there. Uh, a lot of uh, networking, a lot of just making friends, man. There's a lot of, you know, it's still a very small thing. I, I, would, I would only guess that there were a couple thousand people at that show, which is a lot, but you know, that was, I feel like that was everyone, you know, I was like anyone that's into this stuff at the time is there. And, um, that was a, that was a big show for us more. So just, uh, meeting people, uh, becoming friends, uh, making contacts, uh, and being able to, to, to play better shows, play in front of more people. Um, Goddamn man, I don't even know where we are right now. Two thousand. Yeah, that that uh, I referenced that Poison the Well tour when I sent you the outline because obviously I caught the Buffalo show and and obviously I've been doing the health. You know, you noticed today I started my first Hellfest episode on the podcast. And yeah. So Hellfest two thousand was obviously you know pretty influential, like you said. It was, that was pretty much everybody in hardcore at the time, maybe minus a few of the youth crew kids, if anything. Yeah. But other than that, like pretty much everybody was there. Um, but how, yeah, that's what I said. Like, I felt like everybody there. Yeah. Sit in. How long was the the run with Poison Well that time? Because because I mean they're blowing up at this point, so it had to have been pretty good for you guys too to be playing shows like that, like you were saying. Oh, it was great. Oh, there yeah, there were huge shows. Um, you know, and then like a lot of those, like a lot of the shows, you know, we play with Unearth in Boston. We play with uh, fucking Nora. We play with uh, maybe it was this was actually a different tour, but there was one show we played in Philly with. Uh, uh Kaven, Dillinger Escape Plan, Harvest, uh Poison the Well Us. I mean, it's a fucking huge show at the time, you know, 1998, 1999, whatever that is. Um we broke that tour up into two spots, into into two uh sections. I'm not exactly sure why we did that. Um but that's what we did. Uh, I actually went back and stayed with them uh for whatever I think we had three weeks or something, a month off. I went back to Fort Lauderdale because it was uh, better than Dayton, Ohio. And then we met back up. I think the first show was in Buffalo, maybe, or in, in Erie. It was one of those two. Uh, meaning that every time I die, guys, you know, uh, staying with Andy and Ratboy and Ryan Hex and Matt Dunn. And you know what I mean? Like that whole, uh, that early 2000s, late, uh, like like every all those kids up in uh in new york state you know um then we went out west and we played a bunch of shows with the kids in 18 visions we played uh you know the chain reaction the show was us 18 visions avenge sevenfold avenge sevenfold like opened up you know um (laughs) uh which was, you know, again, that was my first time, you know, playing out in Southern California, uh, really being there as an adult. My mom's family is all in, uh, born and raised in Los Angeles. So I'd, I'd been to Los Angeles a lot. My dad uh, used to work there. Um, 
so we would spend summers there and stuff like that but i remember playing in los angeles and i i mean this is like a douchey thing again this is from the perspective of a 20 year old 20 year old kid i'm like looking around and all these beautiful girls i was like oh my god i was like yo man i was like this is crazy there's all these girls at the show i was like i was like girls don't look like this in dayton ohio and uh ken the drummer for 18 visions was just like very matter of factly very southern california he's like that's why they don't write songs about ohio girls bro <laughs> I was like oh, that's funny but uh yeah so we did that um i don't think we finished the tour we were dude we were driving in this shithole van, uh, van we had so many problems with it um it was a really fun tour though we i mean it was it was like one band the the bands would split up uh into two different vans we said nerd van and cool van which i really think was uh it was just uh depending on who was smoking weed <laughs> i guess that was uh that was labeled the cool van so everyone there but i remember i mean like uh, the music at that time uh white pony the deftones white pony came out at that time that glass jaw record came out at that time um those there were the two records that uh I mean, we're just getting constant, constant rotation. Um, so we finished that tour. And uh, earlier in the year, I had done a show for Drowning Man. Uh, I was I would book shows in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, you know, I was I was definitely the guy. You know, there's always that one guy in the band that that makes contacts and book shows and trade shows and whatever. You know, that was me. Uh, so I had done a show for Drowning Man, and I'd kept in touch with those with uh, those guys, their singer Simon, and uh, he was like, "Hey, he was like uh, our guitar player. He can't go on this tour. We're about to go on. He's like, we're about to go on tour with uh, Glassjaw and uh, Earth Crisis. He's like, you want to fill in on guitar? I was like, fuck yeah! I just listened to this Glassjaw record all summer. You know what I mean? And uh, I mean that record." That was, uh, I don't really, I don't listen to it, you know, a lot anymore. I don't really feel, I feel like lyrically it's a little, eh, it doesn't, uh, he says some kind of young things, you know what I mean? But you can't blame the kid, you know, he's like, like, that dude's like our age too, which I thought was really interesting. I was like, how the fuck did all these guys become such good musicians? They're all, they're, they're like 20, 19, you know, 21. They're, they're still young kids doing this. Uh, I think their playing was super advanced. The chemistry that they had was super advanced. Um, their rhythms and the technicality and just their songwriting at that time, the, the bringing the melody into it um, tastefully, you know? Um, but anyway, yeah, so I went and, uh, and did that tour. Um, Earth Crisis, being Earth Crisis, I mean, it's like still in my top 10 ever. Um, so that was fun. Uh, again, more networking, more uh, more traveling. Um, went back home. Uh, we were kind of uh, just stuck doing that. You know, I'm sure we would play weekends and this and that. Uh, we went back on tour. I think we did a tour with Drowning Man and Darkest Hour. Uh, maybe we played a Gainesville Fest in there or something. And then we went uh, out to the West Coast with Blood Has Been Shed. So Howard. Um, Howard Jones is from Ohio. He's from Columbus. Um, so he knew 
at least he knew Adam uh, just from being around. Uh, you know, like I said, it's, it's an hour drive. We would travel. They would travel. Like uh, the older kids, we we knew those guys. They, you know, uh, so I think that was our that was our hookup uh, some somewhere through Howard. So we went to the West Coast, played a bunch of shows with 18 Visions. Oh, Poison the Well was on tour at that time with uh, Martyr. So, you know, some of these shows out like like Santa Cruz, uh, Poison the Well, 18 Visions, Martyr AD, Blood Has Been Shed, Us. I mean, there were, that's when we were starting to get, you know, a thousand kids at a show, things like that, which at that time is fucking crazy. You know, it's, it's not, that was unheard of. Go back home. Um, and, and that's kind of where it went for uh, maybe the next year, year or two, while Adam was still in, uh, still in school. Uh, we were kind of limited to those, to those type of tours. Uh, a couple weeks here and there, a lot of weekends. Um, and in that time, we had also just done a full-on member switch. Um, we had a guy named Shane Shook who uh, had played drums for us in the early days pre-eulogy pre anything like that it's the best drummer such a good guy uh a little bit older than us maybe five years older so he's 23 and we're you know 17 or he's 22 whatever the fuck it is uh and he's just like man i'm playing with these kids i gotta do something and he went and joined the marines uh was stationed out in southern california we would see him out there uh you know he's at the time he's like you know he's he's following this music and he's keeping up with it and he's seeing what we're doing and he's kind of like smacking himself because he's like, damn, I fucked up. I want to be doing this. Uh, he was a really good drummer. He was really great. Uh, we had another drummer, this guy, Kevin Schindel, same thing, older than us. Uh, he's like, I just, it's not really what I wanted to do. Uh, he quit. Kevin came back and played guitar for us. Um, and then our guitar player, at the beginning, Matt, the original guitar player, Matt Tackett. I promised Matt Tackett I would say his name earlier in this. I feel bad I didn't. Um, he likes his recognition. But he uh, he had come back too, and he was playing bass. So we have these five core people who have known each other a long time. We're all uh, on the same, I want to say, like proficiency uh, musically. You know, that that... There's always like, I don't know, we had some bass players that were kind of, eh, they're just kind of there to hang out and like hang out with girls and shit. And, uh, you know, we had a younger drummer who, who really wanted it, but he just wasn't quite there. So we all kind of clicked. We were all in this like, like we knew what we wanted to do. We knew what we wanted to sound like. Uh, the beginning of uh, those ferret, like kind of the ferret sound was starting to to build and grow and uh we had a long time just to write um three of us lived together um so we were playing a lot we would practice often uh we would practice you know two three hours a week several hours um uh, was what's interesting to think about that now we uh we would talk so much of those practices we all could play you know what i mean we we all were comfortable with that but it was the uh articulating what we want to do what we want to sound like what we don't want to sound like why this works why this doesn't hey we, we all knew the same music hey let's reference this you know when this band does this what about if we did this you know that was uh, so that was that's uh one of my favorite parts of this whole journey was writing that 
and uh, growing and becoming that uh, that unit, um, ringing out in practice. Everything being tight, everything sounding good, our gear sounding good. You know, we're we're starting to get older. We're starting to get more money at our jobs. You know what I mean? You can buy nicer equipment, whatever that is. Uh, just becoming a little bit more professional. Um, yeah, that's some. You know those like Wikipedia timelines for like bands and stuff. If you look up like a band's history, like would you and yeah. Adam be like the two consistent ones like throughout the whole thing, or were there other guys that were in the band the whole time? Or Adam and I were it. Adam and I were in the band the whole time from day one until the end of it. Uh, if you look at our Wikipedia history, there are a fuckload of dudes, and there's I mean we probably had uh, I don't know man twelve might be pushing it definitely 10 we had a lot of member changes and and a lot of it is at the beginning when we were young in high school you know that, that and uh but yeah man we had a lot of fucking member changes a lot of uh figuring out to do but once we got that um that lineup that stayed um that stayed for until the end of it uh but yeah adam and i stayed uh we were the two guys that that pushed through and Adam and I had a pretty close friendship, man. We were, were similar minded. Um, I'm not, <laughs> I'm a very organized person. I'm a pretty like, uh, articulate person, uh, despite whatever I've been battling about for the last hour. You know, I, I was, I was able to, I just enjoyed it, man. I, I enjoyed that music. I enjoyed being part of something. I enjoyed traveling from Dayton, Ohio, man. I wasn't going to see shit. You know, I, I didn't have, I didn't go to college. I didn't uh, particularly love school. I didn't get great grades. I worked uh, as a carpenter at a high school and uh, that's what I was going to do. You know, I mean, like that, that was, those were kind of my options. So being able to do this and, and, and meet people from all over the country and, and uh, do that was was a lot of fun. I, I was thoroughly fucking enjoying it. Uh, so then, yeah. So then we just start sending demos. Uh, started demoing some of these songs and uh, sent them to everyone. You know, the all the the labels at the time and uh, Ferret, uh, the Matt Hay Portland is is what they call him. He's one of the guys that was Nora. He worked for Ferret. He was kind of their uh, he did like uh, all the layouts and design, uh, all the design work, all the websites, stuff like that. He's a very talented guy. He really pushed a lot. He really uh, was getting that, you know, when Nora would go on, go on trips, he would pop that demo in and Carl would always perk up. He'd be like, who is this? And he'd be like, 12 tribes, really? He'd be like, damn, this, this is the shit. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, eventually we just kind of persisted and, uh, he offered us, yeah, he said, you know, this is great. And uh, sent us an email. Want to record it? We never signed a contract. It was all in a handshake. Uh, I remember, like, fuck, like, what are they going to do? And I remember driving to Toledo and uh, Nora and Poison the Well and the Bronx. Maybe every time I die, I played a show up there. And the intent was, like, to, like, corner Carl. I was like, yo, is this, like, is this happening? And he was like, yeah yeah of course like why wouldn't it be you know i was like i, I don't know are we gonna sign anything he's like no we'll just do it so uh they hooked us up with uh eric rachel in uh east i think it's south river tracks east? Track, yeah tracks east fucking great studio um 
they had done a lot of uh, a lot of the Jersey bands at that time. I think they did the Dillinger record. They did the God Forbid record. They did a he did a Skid Row record back in the day that was hanging up there that we thought was funny. Uh, I think he did a Treyu. Uh, did a lot of stuff. The one that I really liked, still one of my favorite heavy records to this day. He did that uh, a Life Once Lost, uh, a great artist, which that fucking record was so heavy. Uh, the precursor to everything that was popular, I don't know, five years ago, all that Meshuggah E, whatever they want to call it. I mean, I, I think they were better than all of those bands. Uh, I think that was a highly, highly overrated band or underrated band. Excuse me. They did not get their, uh, they did not get their, what was due to them. Uh, fucking sick band. But anyway, yeah, recorded it in uh, January, something like that uh put it out in april and we went on uh we played the new england metal fest and went on tour forever after that we went on tour with uh zeo uh remembering never scarlet and misery signals uh and that was a full u.s tour uh yeah down the south all the way through texas up the west coast back through uh you know utah and colorado and all that up to chicago and minneapolis into canada ended up in the northeast like it was uh it was a really long tour it's definitely the longest that we'd been on tour by this time also adam had graduated so the plan was just go on tour you know do that uh so we did that this is also um this is the beginning of this changing of the guard from uh the new metal stuff to uh you know to the to the bleeding throughs and the you know like all the bands that went on Ozfest. uh every time i die throw down bleeding through whoever else 18 visions you know hate breed was the the front runners of it um so i'm gonna back up a little bit um uh, so we at this time in our hometown in our in our uh really in our hometown we have kind of given up playing uh, hardcore shows, um, scene shows, so to say. There's all the bands that uh, are popular at the time are uh, very chugga chugga, um, you know, uh, Suffocate Faster was a big one. It's a great band, you know, uh, they were killing it. They, but it's just not, the kids that liked them didn't really care about what we were doing. Um, and I like that music, you know what I mean? Like, it's definitely shit that I enjoyed and like and listen to, but it's just not what I wanted to do with us. And that's not what all of us wanted to do collectively. So we weren't really fitting in. There were a lot of bands in our area that had that were doing that whole kind of new metal thing. And when we would play with them, like kind of intermittently, their fucking kids would go crazy, you know? And they would come back, you know? That's really the thing. So a lot of our following in our hometown wasn't hardcore kids. There were definitely kids that liked, you know, that uh, and we would play hardcore shows. Uh, you know, we would play with, uh, I don't know, the Unearths if they would come and uh, things like that, friends of ours. But we were also playing to this kind of like uh, more un- educated and underground music is, is the best way to describe it. Um, so 
when the opportunity to play these tours, uh, these bands that were still kind of uh, fledgling, you know, uh, we did tours with uh, Kitty. Uh, we did tours with Soulfly, um, 36 Crazy Fists, things like that, uh, who were kind of in that, you know, uh, you know, that, that was kind of like the plan. Uh, Hatebreed had toured with Kitty. Killswitch Engaged had toured with Kitty. You know what I mean? That was kind of like a way at that time to get those fans uh, that weren't going to go to see you with fucking, with, you know, they're, they're not going to go to like the core shows. Um, but they would have, you know, the, the tour we did with Kitty was uh, us, 36 Crazy Fist, and Candiria. Uh, Candiria being, you know, at the time, still now i mean like one of my all-time favorite bands incredible musicians those that was like shit that that was like the one of the first bands i was like really excited i was like god damn like uh, you know I've, I've listened to those those guys since i was in high school i'd seen them with marauder and earth crisis and harley's war uh you know like i, I would i would drive out of town to go see candiria so to be to be able to tour with them a funny thing that I remember from Candiria, I'll tell you two things that were really profound to me, is uh, the first show that we played with them was at the House of Blues uh, in Chicago. And there's a big curtain and you know they're setting up and the curtain's closed. So everyone's just sitting like normal. So I'm sitting on the side of the stage ready to watch them. And their drummer, Ken, who's a fucking maniac. I mean, he's, he's just a beyond incredible musician. He's also a super eccentric, weird ass dude. He's like, all right, He's like, yo, keep it tight. <laughs> I was like, what else would they do? Like, Scandaria. Like, I, I just thought that was like very funny. That's like some shit we would say. You know what I mean? All right, let's be tight tonight. Same thing. He's like, yo, let's keep it tight. The other thing that he said, I thought this, this, uh, this, this made a lot of sense to me. He was talking about breakdowns. He was talking about why they can write breakdowns and they sound good. I'm not going to, I wish I could do his voice. I can't do that Brooklyn accent, but he was like, yo, he's like, it's like making love to a woman. He's like, you don't want to just sit there and pound her the whole time. You know, he's like, you got to throw some movement in there too. You know, he's like, you gotta, you gotta have some rhythm. You gotta move your hips. He's like, you want her to feel good too. Right. And I was like, that's obvious. Cause it makes like, yeah. Like I don't want like the, what we were into, we didn't want to just, I feel like a lot of times the breakdown is the lowest common denominator. You know what I mean? It the, doesn't take a lot to it. I, again, I love Hatebreed. I love, uh, you know, First Blood, like all those bands. Like, I love them. I still fucking listen to them a lot consistently. But it's just not what I wanted to do. It's not It's not something that connected to us. So shout out to uh, Ken Shaw for being a pervert and uh, articulating that so uh, perfectly. 30, 36 Crazy Fist, they're from Ohio too, right? No, they're from Alaska. They're from Alaska. Wasn't there some so, band from Ohio that had dudes from Ascension that ended up becoming part of that kind of host whole scene too? Or am I thinking of another band? Chimera. Had oh, that's what I'm thinking of, Chimera. Did they, they probably Chimera, tour together, right? Say it again? They probably all tour. They, got, you, they probably tour with yeah. them at some point. That's probably why I got them mixed up. They were both on Roadrunner. So I think that's the association there. Uh, 36 Crazy Fists, man. Very unique band. Uh, a lot of melody. They were right on that verge of uh, kind of new metal. I think when they put out those records, they were learning a lot about, uh, you know, different different stuff. Because they were out in fucking Alaska, man. There's nothing out there. You know, they don't have, there's definitely no hardcore scene. Um, 
So I think a lot of their music was shit that they heard on the radio and things like that. They, and they were older than us too. They were like 10 years older than us at the time. Um, so we became really close friends with them. We did that kitty tour. Uh, they took us to Europe and uh, we had done a kill switch engage tour previous to this. Uh, we were main support for them. Howard hooked that up. So the first time we ever went to Europe was main support for kill switch engage on the end of party. Huge fucking shows. You know, the, the show in London was, you know, almost 3000 people or something like, you know, by far the biggest shows we'd ever played consistently at that point. Uh, great, great, great tour for us. Uh, really opened up a lot of opportunities to go back overseas. But the next tour that we did, I'm only bringing this up. The next tour that we did was with 36 Crazy Fists again. It was all the same venues and they were all sold out too. So th they're the same size as Killswitch at this time. They're doing really well overseas in Europe. Um, and then they play kind of like uh, their local festival in Anchorage every year. It's called the Summer Meltdown. And uh, they flew us out there uh, to play. Uh, and they, you know, there's one radio station there. They advertise it on the radio. And that was in front of thousands of people. That was a fucking huge show. And it was outdoors. So you're playing in the middle of the day, looking, you were playing. I remember, you know, there's several thousand people there. And I was looking out over these snow-capped mountains in the middle of Alaska. Uh, it was a pretty fucking surreal experience. It was really cool. Very unique. Um, and uh, we went back another couple times after that. We headlined a show in Alaska, uh, which is a unique experience at, at that time, you know. Uh, just another cool thing that some guys from Dayton, Ohio got to do. Uh, so working on these these Ferret albums, obviously the sound, and I, I've been having tour with some of these bands, your sound kind of, I wouldn't I wouldn't really call it new metal because I don't really like using that term for bands that I like, but I would just call it more like commercial sounding. Um <laughs> But did you talk to Ferret about that beforehand? That it was going to be a little bit more like, like, because Adam's actually like singing on on a lot of those songs too. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So he, so yeah, they knew because they'd been hearing the demos. I want to say that we recorded probably three or four demos uh, with that lineup over the course of uh, maybe two years. So they had seen, they had heard that that transition from the eulogy stuff which was uh, very chaotic. I mean, like, I think we were like, let's not repeat parts. Like, it was like important to us. Hey, let's not repeat parts. To this, where we're like, all right, let's write songs. Let's, uh, let's have choruses. Let's have... Um, I don't know if commercial is going to be the... Is, I don't really think that that's what we were thinking. Uh, I want to I say that we were going to say accessible. Yeah, we want it to be accessible. We want we want anyone to be able to listen to this and appreciate it we don't want it just to just to fall on the ears of this like limited community uh because i mean at the time man it was just not we all listened to a lot of different stuff there there was a lot of influences going on uh we were all you know there was there was it was very broad uh i had worked i was working at this little record store at the time with a bunch of fucking hipster kids who were turning me on to all sorts of other shit that uh you know non-hardcore related um and then you know we all have our stuff that we liked previous to that like like i said we weren't you know as much as i loved 
earth crisis and integrity and the hate breed and things like that, we were definitely drawn to the kind of outer parts of that, the, the bloodlet, the, the, that kind of, uh, I don't, I don't know how to articulate it. A little darker, a little more musical, a little, uh, a little like off kilter, you know, that dissidence, that whatever it may be. Uh, we always kind of, I've always liked the other stuff. <laughs> I, I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, that's kind of what we were, what we were trying to do. And we wanted to hear those songs, you know, like that, like, I don't know. We, we just got into our own, our own little unit understood that at the time and what we wanted to do we could make it interesting musically for us to play and add these kind of odd temperatures and these quirky riffs and uh, we could bring it together with a chorus. Um, and I go back and I listen to some of those records and uh, I'll be, I mean, that's not really the type of music that I listen to. Um, but I thank God that we didn't come out <clears throat> four years later where we were god forbid influenced by these kids with the hair in their face like the and just that really high singing like i fucking hate that shit man our band our band existed and ended for me at the perfect time because if i was trying to if they were putting us on tour with uh whatever attack attack and the muir or whatever you know i just i hate that shit that 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 does not even register to me as anything it's just it's it's nonsense it's commercial it's oh, just like yeah. it's weird because like a lot of the bands you've been referencing throughout the interview like i would kind of like lump them in as like metalcore but then like you don't want to really use that term because all the bands you're talking about now are like what people think yeah. of as metalcore and it's kind of like the whole emo and screamo thing too you know what i mean it's like we know like what emo and screamo really is but like the mainstream thinks of it as like these like you know, like Fallout Boy, basically. You know, and sure. nothing, nothing against them, obviously, too. You know, but uh, yeah, no, yeah, but uh, I mean, I've got teenage kids, I've I have children, and they're like emo. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, that's you don't even know what you're saying. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's it's irritating to me. It's funny. Yeah, yeah, metalcore for sure. It turned into a thing. It turned into a commodity. It turned into. Uh, became profitable and and you had all these people with their hands in it and uh yeah it kind of became this like dirty word um the singing screaming all right so i remember seeing they had this fest in louisville uh called crazy fest and i went in 19 i think it was 97 or 98 and uh converge coalesce today is the day uh, they played, uh, Buried Alive played their first or second show. It was way early. Uh, I remember getting that demo from Scott. Um, but uh, Grade played. And I'd not heard Grade. I had no idea who they were, what they were about, anything. And they were so fucking good. And the singing and the screaming made sense. It wasn't contrived. It wasn't pushed. It wasn't to i don't know man it just seemed very natural very organic it, it, it's a weird thing uh for sure uh, you know i i, I think it kind of uh, what happened after our our scene uh kind of makes it harder for me even to listen to the some of the bands that i enjoyed like the kill switches and things like that 
uh, just due to the association. But I mean, I'm sure that, you know, the bands like uh, four years before us are thinking the same shit, you know, <laughs> they're like, thank God we didn't turn into that, you know, like, I don't know, Stark Weathers and, the, you know, Catharsis and whatever else, Bloodlet, I, you know, uh, it's just generational and, and, and people aren't always going to get it. I didn't get what happened uh, 10 years after that. I don't understand necessarily what's happening now, uh, but it is what it is, you know. Was there ever I, any interest from like bigger labels for, for 12 tribes when you guys were still active, like towards the end there? Absolutely not. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I remember talking to Mike Gitter from Roadrunner pre Ferret. You know, once we signed a Ferret, I mean, they were doing. You had the same capabilities uh, as as uh, as any of those bigger labels at the time. You know they were distributed through Red and uh, Sony, and and they were getting their shit out there. Uh, Roadrunner did put out our records in the UK and Europe. They had a uh, like a uh, I'm losing the word, but the they, they were putting out the ferret records over there. So we had like that same, that real ass roadrunner distribution over there. We did very well in Europe. We were able to, we, we did great tours over there. We went there with kill switch, uh, that big 36 crazy fist tour. We went there with hate breed. Uh, we went there with every time I die. Um, we went there again with 36 crazy fist. So we, we always played in front of a lot of people. We were able to headline there successfully and make money and things like that. You know what I mean? Uh, I know it's kind of like a, that's always like kind of like the joke. It's like, Oh, we're huge in Europe. <laughs> we're, we're huge in Belgium, whatever. But yeah, I mean, we, we did well over there. Um, us, not so much. We couldn't really find the right bills, man. Um, we did those new metal tours, which, uh, might've been detrimental because you know, everything, after that, you know, the, that whole scene kind of blew up. And I think we were kind of lumped into the kitties and the soul flies and the ill ninos and whoever, you know, shit like that. And then we would do the tours. We, you know, we had toured with the Acacia strain and we toured with it dies today and uh, all those kids with the black hair in their face. And that just wasn't us. We don't, we weren't ever really like cool looking guys, man. We're just like, we're like borderline like Hessians, like from Dayton, Ohio. You know, Adam's like cool looking, but he's got dreads. And uh, I think they associated that with, with the new metal. And it was just that association. Um, and we didn't have those breakdowns. And that's what kids were waiting for. And it just didn't click. Um, and it is what it is. You know, we wrote another record after that that was a little bit more aggressive. Uh, with the intent of yo we're gonna go on tour for the next 10 months and i don't want kids to be sitting with their arms crossed uh but it didn't seem as organic it didn't feel the same we had to have it out in a certain amount of, a certain amount of time uh which made it a little more stressful uh yeah it just it didn't it didn't quite uh, have the same feel as the first ferret release there's parts about it that i like and there are songs that i like and i liked the recording process and uh, I liked a lot of the shows and tours that we did after that, but it it, it was just a little bit different. Uh, and at this time, we're getting older too, you know. Uh, going on tour and not making money uh, wasn't really uh, the best thing. Now, I'm not sure if I got my timeline matched up right, but I feel like especially the last album, if not the last two, were when iTunes and all that kind of stuff was starting to come in. Like, did a lot of things change as, as far as, like, 
anything with a label or like the numbers or any kind of stuff towards the end with all that or fuck yeah for sure for sure so sound scans were a big deal at that time uh you know your first week sales uh that was that was what was uh gauging who you could tour with if you were worthy to support so and so if you're going to get in this magazine if you're going to do this if you're going to do that what booking agents are going to look at you what publicists are going to work with you uh, yeah so that was a big deal so uh, and it happened very quickly too i remember there was a there's a site it was like fucking christ on martyr or something like that where you could download music they would put up full discographies and I remember one of the guys at Ferret, maybe this is a, maybe I'm getting my sites mixed up. Regardless, there was a site and he was like, look, he was like, look at this shit. And it was, you know, 8,000 downloads of the whole record on this thing. And you're just like, fuck, uh, you know, our, our, our first week sales of that record were not uh, great. And uh, they never, it never really picked up after that. And that's kind of the beginning of the end of it, you know, uh, when you're the difference between 23 and 24 and, and driving around in a 15 passenger van uh to 26 to 27 and doing it and not having uh not making money and uh not making a great you know we just weren't i don't know man we weren't connecting uh, and it was just kind of a hard thing to deal with you know it's i i we felt good about it. We didn't understand. We stuck by our guns. Like, yeah, dude, we could have written a, a record that, that sounded a certain way. I don't know if people would have been receptive to it because it probably wouldn't have sounded great because it wouldn't have been sincere. It's not what we knew how to do. It's not what we were good at. So uh, I'm glad that we didn't do that. Um, you know, things, things happen for a reason. Uh, as much as I, you know, sometimes have regrets, it was hard to watch uh, a lot of our contemporaries, you know, I mean, Poison the Well specifically. These guys are an iconic band in that time. They opened the door for a sound and for so many other bands to to do their thing. Uh, Kill Switch Engage, you know, uh, Lamb of God. We played with Lamb of God so much uh, back in the day. Before that, you know, we once they got established, we did a run of shows with them and Machine Head. You know, watching these guys blow up into you know, fame is kind of an arbitrary term or whatever you want to say, but, you know, like famous dudes, guys that were buying homes, you know, <laughs> you know, paying their mortgages with by playing music. Like that's that's really all I wanted. I, I don't care about much else at that at that point, you know, but, you know, you, you got to do some of it. You know, you, I was uh, living with my girlfriend and uh, she got pregnant shortly after that, you know, and, and you got to figure out, a, you know, a hundred bucks a show or whatever it was at the time just wasn't really cutting it. Uh, so it is what it is, man. Did you guys ever do the band like full time during this era or are you guys always like working like side jobs and whatnot? Uh, we would work side jobs for sure. Uh, so Adam, this motherfucker who just figured this out early, he, uh, he, I'm sorry, I'm trying to turn the light. There we go. So he uh, got his degree in engineering. And so he could work online. He could. He was working remote before it was a thing. You know what I mean? So he's on tour, chilling in the back. Uh, Adam was always straight edge. Adam never drank, never did drugs. The rest of us were full on into both. Uh, he was just laying in the cut. 
working on his projects and stuff, doing it, you know, remote and uh, getting a fucking paycheck, you know, deposited into his account where the rest of us are just scrounging, you know. Uh, and so that uh, made it easier. Uh, dude, again, is smarter than everyone. <laughs> so that's, of course, that's the move he makes. Uh, yeah, we worked uh, odd jobs. We worked uh, whatever. So that's, uh, that's an interesting segue. So when we went to uh, Europe the first time, we had a guy named Mark who uh, did our sound and tour managed us. Uh, tour managed the whole tour, but he rode in our bus. Uh, we shared a bus with uh, All That Remains. They were on that tour as well. And uh, we hit it off with Mark. He's a great guy. Uh, all these bands, any band that you're going to talk to from this era has probably worked with him. So he got a full-time gig working for Bullet From My Valentine, who is blowing up uh, in the UK at this time, but they're about to do their first US tour. So he hits up uh, me and uh, our drummer, Shane. And he's like, they need text. Do you guys want to come tech for them? And I was like, eh, oh, really? I don't know, whatever. I wasn't like super interested. I'd just been on tour forever. And he was like, uh, we'll pay you $1,000 a week and uh, 50 bucks a day. This is in 2004, you know what I mean? So up until this point, I'm probably making, I don't know, $400 a week. I was working at a in landscaping, you know, cutting grass and shit like that. So I was like, oh, fuck, yeah, that's a whole different thing. Because of the currency difference, you know what I mean? One, they're huge over there. They're 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 at this point, I want to say that they're starting to play with the Iron Maidens and doing these festivals with Metallica and stuff like that. Like they're blowing the fuck up. And then the pound is worth twice as much as our as our dollar. So uh well it's a funny part of that. So they they came over here. The first tour was uh it dies today. Bullet from my Valentine uh, still remains, and someone else. Uh, so we're playing uh, mid-sized uh, theaters, mid-sized clubs. Um, Bullet from my Valentine is like they realize how cheap it is for them to get a bus, so they get a tour bus. Uh, and a lot of these places don't have any. Uh, you know, you can't park a tour bus. In, in the knitting factory in New York, in New York city. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, there's just like not room for it. Uh, so that made this whole fucking tour insane uh, because just navigating that uh, those guys are also the best slash worst. Uh, I really love them all. They were such characters, but they were like on some rock star shit already. And again, they were, uh, they were walking that walk with the partying and with the girls and like all that shit. It was funny. It was a funny experience. If you like are looking at it from like a clear head, like a clear point of view, and you're just like watching it for the, the amusement of it, it was the shit <laughs> that I have some really fucking funny, crazy tour stories about those boys. Um, and then, you know, to watch them, the trajectory of their, uh, their career was cool too. Uh, so that kind of, uh, that's kind of, uh, what put the, you know, the light bulb in my head. I was like, Oh shit. Like, you know, I could do this. So after, um, after 12 tribes, uh, we, you know, I want to say the last tour we did, we did a month in the UK with 36 crazy fists, which was great. Our dear friends rode a bus, uh, you know, same crew, 
this guy, Mark, uh, who, again, I've been working, I've been traveling with, with Bullet for my Valentine. So we're like super tight and their guitar tech, Chris, uh, this other guy. So we're like, it's like a family, you know? Uh, so that was our, our last tour over there. And then uh, we did another month, I want to say in mainland Europe, another five weeks. So we're in Europe forever. And, uh, but we had kind of decided, we're like, this is going to be it. Um, so I went home and uh, at that time, uh, that band Hawthorne Heights was uh, blowing up. I mean, uh, you know, they were, they had a song on the radio. They were fucking selling a lot of records. And uh, I knew their other guitar tech, Nick, um, and uh, got a job working with them. And I, I worked with them for a while after that, uh, continued touring. Uh, they did some, some big stuff, obviously. Uh, and uh, that was a fun experience too. Um, what's ironic about it is the, one of the first tours, like the first tour I did was the Warp Tour, which had Poison the Well and Kill Switch Engage and like all these other bands. So I was just back on tour with all these like core kids, like these guys I'd known, you know, my the last 10 years and had traveled with a lot. Uh, so that was, was cool. Did you do the tech thing full time then for a little while after, after being in 12 tribes? Like, and then like while with like young children or whatever? Or? uh so i didn't have children at this point quite yet okay so i um i did okay so i worked for Hawthorne Heights for a little bit and then our so uh ferret uh was co-owned by a guy named paul conroy who uh, bought into ferret eventually he was a manager he managed unearth lamb of god 18 visions uh every time i die i think uh, at the time, um, he uh, would go on to manage Behemoth uh, and Job for a Cowboy, uh, and so he was like, "Yo, Job for a Cowboy needs a needs a tour, or uh, needs a tour attack. Uh, you want to work for them?" I was like, "Sure." You know, so, yeah, same thing. I yes, I had been working full time as a as a tech, uh, touring a lot, and uh, so he was like, "Yeah, this band Job for a Cowboy." Uh, so these guys are uh, at this time these they're they're babies. The oldest the oldest one is maybe twenty one, and the rest of them are like eighteen, you know, eighteen nineteen. Never had jobs. They're uh, such a uh, a funny dynamic. So the first the first tour that I did with them, we shared a bus with Behemoth. Uh, so you know most tour buses you at the front lobby you know the front lounge where you had a little table and little kitchen area bathroom some it's like the quiet place it's like where the tour managers sit on their laptops and shit and then you have the middle where all the bunks are and then you got the back lounge where everyone parties if if bands are partying you know uh so this bus it was called a hockey bus they would have hockey teams in it and the back lounge didn't exist the back lounge just extended into bunks right and there were two bunks that folded up into the wall in the front lounge uh, with no curtain or anything like that. It was just like a cot. It was just a bed that folded down. So I was the last dude to fly in. So guess where my bunk was? It was uh, up in the front lounge with no curtain and like 20 fucking plus people between these two bands that were all partying in the front lounge uh, because uh, there was no back lounge and behemoth to you know to add to that these crazy fucking polish dudes you know like being on tour you're like uh like in a van or a bus you're like oh dude's backpack is over here oh this fucking guy 
he's always got his clothes. Oh, he always leaves a CD book out. I'm like, oh, uh, Orion has his platformed boots and his giant spikes sitting on the on the couch. I wish he wouldn't do that so much. Maybe someone could talk to him. <laughs> you know? And uh, those guys were partying fucking hard as well and uh, ripping up Bibles and uh, all that. I mean, they were just a trip, man. And so this was right before, um, let's say I got home on the 27th or something like that. Uh, whatever it was in September or it was actually in November, I was going to get married the 29th, you know? So my wife or my girlfriend, my fiance is at home, like planning the, the wedding and taking care of all the details. And I'm in fucking Hollywood with behemoth. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that was fun. So yeah, I, I worked with them for a long time. I did a tour with, I did like the, the runs with Megadeth with John for cowboy. I did a rock and festival and then we did uh, the Mayhem Festival, which was, you know, uh, Slayer, Marilyn Manson, Killswitch, Cannibal Corpse, Behemoth, fucking all these bands that, you know, we had been touring with and traveling with forever. And at that time, I had a little girl, um, you know, I had a, she was maybe one or, yeah, just turned one. And uh, so I get off the bus and there's just dudes like with their shirts off, like, pissing and like yelling like slayer fans you know what i mean like straight fucking metal heads and uh back at home i had this uh this beautiful wife and this beautiful little girl and i was like man i just can't it's it's not connecting anymore uh so that was it that was uh 2009 that was the last time i traveled with any of those guys um uh, and it was great i mean you know what a fucking last tour i got to see slayer so many times and uh, Kerry King would fucking cut in line every day, and that was uh, super irritating. But uh, his other guitar tech was like eight feet tall, and uh, he was it was like his bodyguard slash guitar tech. He's this menacing ass dude, but yeah, he would he would take the last of the pasta salad. It wasn't really shit you could say about it. <laughs> and you know, if you're saying somebody's eight feet tall, they must have really been tall too, man. <laughs> I think his name was uh, his guitar tech's name was Armad Butts Crump. Which is fucking great too. Um, uh, but butts and crump. And, and, and. One thing I've been thinking about throughout the whole interview, and you kind of reminded me of it at the end there with Behemoth tearing up Bibles, is I'm my estimate is you probably did this for close to, if not a little bit more than ten years. What yeah. did your parents? What did your parents think of all this throughout the time? Going back to what you had said about them from the beginning of the interview, especially your mom, I guess. Um, my parents were stoked. My dad was very supportive. Um, um, they were supportive of what I was doing. They thought it was unique. They thought it was like they were proud of the fact that we were doing this ourselves. You know what I mean? Like they could they could see and appreciate the fact, uh, uh, like the DIY part of it. You know, this is what Andy loves to do. Because I mean, like going back, like in high school, I wasn't. I wasn't into sports. I wasn't into, um, I, you know, I was straight edge at the time. I wasn't into partying. I wasn't, I, I went to school with all these like upper middle-class white kids. I didn't fit in. I didn't care about what they were doing. I didn't like their music. I didn't like their fashion. I didn't have the same priorities as them. I didn't have the same, uh, family life as them. So, so I would sit in my room, um, uh, 
and practice. I would play guitar. I would fucking run over these scales and whatever. I mean, I would play a lot and I would uh, just, you know, absorb all this music. Like that was my love. It still is. Like if there's anything that I love ferociously in my life, it is music. And uh, they understood that and they were, uh, they were accepting of it. Uh, I think when we started to really uh, drink a lot, which uh, we did. I think that that uh, kind of became apparent. Uh, I think that they were concerned about that at some point, you know what I mean? But that was, uh, that was really it. They were fucking cool, man. They were really, they were really uh, sweet about it. I was thinking about that earlier today in terms of, of, yeah, I had some great parents and they were, they were very cool. They never went, they never saw me play. They never, uh, they kind of, you know, they were like, you do you, that's not really our thing. Um, again, like my dad, he was like a normal guy. He was a cool guy. He, uh, he was always into some, uh, like, like, I just think he thought it was cool. Uh, so fun. So fast forward X amount of years, my dad retires. He was a, he was an air force guy. There's a huge air force base in, uh, in Dayton called Wright Patterson. And he worked for the United States air force forever and retires. And he started teaching a class. Uh, for uh, subcontractors, people that are gonna to work work for the government as well, and uh, some kid had a kill switch sticker on his laptop or something. They're not even kids; they're these are grown people. These are people with master's degrees. A lot of them have law degrees and things like that. But he was like, "Oh, kill switch engage!" And my dad's he's sixty plus year old man. <laughs> you know, he's, he's like an old guy. And the guy's like, "What?" He's like, "You know, kill switch engage." He's like, "Yeah." I know, yeah, for sure. Howard, uh, Howard used to sleep on my basement floor. Howard Jones. And this kid's like, what? And like, you know, my, this guy is teaching this boring ass statistics or whatever. You know, he's like, knows Howard Jones. He's, yeah, yeah, Howard's great. Howard's he's really good. Love the end of Heartache. <laughs> my dad would read the, you know, he would look up, the, he would Google search us and shit like that. And he would, I, I thought your lamb, I thought your review on Lamb Goat was really good. I, I like that he said that, you know? So they were always really sweet, man. I, I really uh, lucked out when it comes to that. Um, but we were doing cool shit. You can't deny it, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's kind of the purpose of this podcast is talking about a lot of the cool shit we did. And like I've been saying lately, I try to keep an eye on what's going on currently too, but uh, I'm not going to front. Like this was mainly started to to kind of do like a blast from the past for the early 2000s, you know? And yeah. I, think I remember I, t- I totally remember that show that we played uh, is the bug jar. That's Rochester, right? Yep. Uh, uh, and it had all the furniture up on the ceiling. I met uh, the guy that hooked us up, Tom Dice. I want to say that's where Tom and I met was at that show. Uh, and every time I die show, right? Darker I mean, would have played that too. Yeah, that sounds about that, that makes perfect sense that you guys would have probably met yeah. around that time, you know? Tom Dice and I, I mean, are super close friends, man. He, he, so I did that warp tour, you know, the, so we did the European tour with Killswitch. We did that long ass warp tour. This warp tours feel like they're like fucking four months. They're crazy. Did that whole thing with Killswitch. I did that whole mayhem tour with Killswitch. Like, so Tom and I toured a lot together in that capacity. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's my fucking good friend, man. And I remember specifically that show. That's, that's where I met him. 
uh, in pieces maybe was on that show. I know I'm cheating because I looked at the flyer, but I, I do remember shows. I booked a couple of 12 tribe shows. So some of them, I, I, I know every time I played the one you're talking about, I can't remember if in pieces did or not. There, there was like those matinee shows. I would put like six or seven bands on there sometimes. Like, yeah. Again, being 41 now, I'd prefer like the three or four band bill, you know. Oh, <laughs> man. Absolutely. Absolutely. I haven't. Uh, so I, I work. Uh, I've worked in kitchens since then. I've I've worked in restaurants. I'm a chef, and so uh, I work at night. Uh, so I'm not I'm not going to front and be like I'm a. I do not participate. Uh, I feel like that's a very big uh, part of being of of hardcore, is actually like the participation, going to fucking shows, you know, supporting physically. I, I think I feel so much of hardcore is that actual like. Uh, the intensity of that, those live performances and obviously the reaction of the crowd and all that shit. I mean, that's, you know, that's like what we remember. That's what draws the majority of us in is that aggression and that, uh, that controlled chaos and all that shit. So it's few and far between that. I, I make it out. I, I've worked in Cincinnati the last like 13 years and they have a, a decent amount of shows. So I saw, I saw leeway when they did a reunion. I saw, the Cro-Mags and I Hate God when they toured. Uh, I went and saw a bigger show. I went and saw Hatebreed with uh, Terror and, uh, again, the Cro-Mags. Big Cro-Mags fan. Um, but my daughter, dude, my daughter, uh, this is wild. So she's 14. She likes, and a lot of this is because this is, played a lot in the house but it's funny it's what she gravitated toward towards she likes coxfarer the last resort the oppressed uh she likes like oi and like street punk she loves rancid uh the dropkick murphys she loves the ramones she loves the clash uh like i'll like say something to her about like you know if you're this she's like are they british i'll be like no she'll be like man that's cool you know what i mean like does she like so I'm sorry. Does she like the chisel? Have you, have you uh, yeah, she likes. She likes a little bit of the chisel. Yeah. Uh, she doesn't like as much of the yelling. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, that kid Cal is is yelling a lot. Uh, she likes Chubby and the Gang though. Uh, she likes Chubby and the Gang. She likes. Uh, so we took her her first show. Her first concert was uh, Rancid, and the Dropkick Murphys. Uh, and Rancid's in my top fucking three of all time ever um you know like when your spotify or whatever shows you it's like you listen to ransom for seven hundred thousand minutes and like the next group is like you listen to them for ten thousand like I, I love that shit i've loved it since i was a kid i think uh you know the outcome the wolves and the, the let's go are two of the best records in, in my opinion ever um so that was fun to to do that and then uh for some fucking reason, in the middle of all that, she likes the Deftones. Uh, we have a good friend, John, who tours with the Deftones. And so we were able to go see them. And uh, she had little friends there, too. Uh, that like Maybe that's why she likes the Deftones. I think it's fucking weird that 14-year-olds are into the Deftones. But, hey. Uh, so we were able to, like, you know, watch them off from the side. And, like, they like the, her friends saw it. They were like, oh, shit. <laughs> Like they know the the people on tour with the Deftones uh, and things like that. Like I don't know. Uh, so that's fun to be able to share that with her. We're gonna go see Turnstile in October, 
which is, uh, you know, I want, you know, it's fun. She saw Rancid and, you know, it's cool. She saw the Deftones or whatever, but those are dudes in their fifties playing songs from 20 years ago. Uh, you know, uh, say what you will about Turnstile. They are young kids in their prime at the top of their game. You know what I mean? That's the difference. Like that's, that's me seeing Pantera on the far beyond driven tours. You know what I mean? Or Sepultura on, uh, the fucking chaos or chaos ad tours you know what i mean biohazard on those urban discipline tours like those are like young fucking musicians who are just like on fire right now so i'm excited for her to see that i was like it's gonna change your life <laughs> she sees all those kids piling on and singing and all that energy you know um i'll send it to you after the interview uh i've never posted on the instagram for obvious reasons but my girlfriend sent me a cameo uh got me a cameo for my birthday from a vocalist of one of the bands you mentioned uh oh, really? being a big fan of and due to uh some of the things he s- tends to say on social media and whatnot i decided not to uh share the cameo that was sent to me but uh it's still yeah. funny i'll send it to you after the interview you'll probably get a kick yeah. out of it sure off um, the record yeah let me know that's funny yeah um that's- but yeah, no, I totally get it with the the the, the night schedule because I worked in restaurants for many years too. I, I'm not uh never probably to the level you you have uh, done it in the chef game or whatever. But um, I did work in a bunch of restaurants and and you know so the nightlife, it was hard for me to go to shows for many years. And now that I have kids, uh, I think hardcore has kind of become like an escape for me again sometimes. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, man. You know, again, I I'm not gonna be like, oh, I've always been hardcore because there are dudes, there are people my age and and older who have uh, continued to do this. You know, um, my homie Chris in Cincinnati has been doing the shows since I met him, and and he still does them now. And it's not his full time job. I mean, the guy works and does this as well and has ushered generations at this point of young kids into this fucking amazing scene. But I think about that too. You know, what's also really odd to me is that uh, I don't remember dudes in their forties hanging out when we were in our, in teenage years or early twenties. I remember it kind of maxing out at maybe 30, you know, Oh yeah, this dude, he's, he's 30, you know, like he's been in jail for the last, the last eight years or whatever it is you know what i mean like uh so i think it's interesting that there is you know there are guys in their 40s and fucking 50s like still going to these shows where there are 20 year olds and 18 year olds and uh i think it's cool it just wasn't it wasn't part of my experience you know um I, i'm i often wonder like why that is like why we didn't have old heads back there i mean i guess the music was pretty new at this time but I'm sure that there were, you know, there were people that got into hardcore in the early 80s when they were 18 or 20. I don't know. I wonder why they're not there where some of us still are, you know. Um, but, yeah, again, not, you know, I don't participate in it, but there's never been a time where I wasn't uh, actively listening to it and listening to the, you know, what was new and trying to find new bands, Uh you know, I think there have been a lot of really good periods and a lot of really good bands in this, uh, you know, every five years or so, like there's some good shit. Um, Twitching Tongues was a band I really liked when they came out. Those first two records I thought were like really fucking good. Um, got a, got a, took a little turn after that, but uh, Turnstile, there's those first two records. I, I like that shit was great, man. I mean, 
Um, I'm just naming like the, the, the big bands, but yeah, uh, obviously like Hate Five Six and all that has made it very accessible for old people to watch young people go crazy on your couch and and hear new bands. But I mean, there's so much of there's so much good stuff now. Like like you said, the Chisel, all that, like uh, Violent Way from Buffalo, that's like up in my top right now. Shit's fucking great. All that. Uh, whatever you want to call it, Oi, Street Punk, Slugger from uh, California, Castillo. Uh, dude, that's that's definitely my my cup of tea. That's what I'm enjoying. Yellow Stitches, uh, just that that's like the first shit that I heard. You know what I mean? And uh, like that, not those bands, but that style. And uh, it, that's something that hasn't deviated too much. You're not gonna see a bunch of kids calling themselves skinheads or like oi fans going way fucking left field the way hardcore kids did like they're like you know oh i'm a hardcore kid but i'm fucking whatever these kids are doing now i've I've got this hair in my mouth and this ridiculous fucking like my pants painted on i don't know i'm being like an old dude and i'm just really just talking shit but uh at least that stayed the same that was a style and that was a sound and that's something that I'm still able to, uh, it makes sense to me. I'm not claiming that that was a big part of my, you know, I liked those bands and I, and that was like, again, like I said earlier, that's, that's kind of the, some old stuff that I heard a long time ago was my introduction to it. But, uh, I can still look at that and be like, okay, this is relevant. This, this makes sense to me. And it's not, it's not just like, uh, you know, like a thrash revival thing. Like they're still doing it authentically. And they're, I, I feel like, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you, Buffalo's had a real renaissance of bands. They got a lot of good hardcore bands right now. And, and you mentioned Twitching Tongues, too. Uh, I feel like one of the most hyped bands in hardcore for like the last year and a half, probably even the next tape read, uh, God's Hate. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with them at all. I mean, it's yeah, like a pretty viral band after Brody diving off the stage at that festival or whatever. But I mean, they're, they're, they're fucking heavy, though. You know what I mean? I love that, that record they put out like a year and a half ago yeah super heavy i mean and they're good they write good songs too those two brothers man are i don't know dude those kids are so uh they really did their homework you know what i mean they really uh i don't know too much about their story i remember maybe reading an interview and they were like we're from connecticut but i mean like the whole like troy new york shit like all that shit that they reference like no one gave a fuck about that outside of troy troy you know what i mean like uh, as influential as it was and, and you know um, uh, a funny story uh, on the bullet for my Valentine tour they did this like off show from the tour and they opened up for fucking uh, Stigmata in Albany I was like that this is ridiculous I made them come out I was like you guys need to watch this shit because they don't know they're not hardcore kids you know what I mean they don't know anything about that they like Iron Maiden and Metallica and Guns N' Roses I was like, you need to see this shit because there was some scary fucking dudes about to cause a bunch of havoc. And they were like, oh man, it's crazy. <laughs> but yeah, you know, like like that stuff, uh, um, they did it really appropriately. They they did it in a modern way. And uh, yeah, I, I, there's, there's such good players and writers. Uh, 
Yeah, those those two brothers, they they fucking can do no wrong. Yeah, I I like God's Hate a lot. I liked everything they put out. That I like all their samples. I I definitely think that they're this lineup that they have with Martine and all that shit. It, it makes sense. Uh, all the, California is just killing it right now. Yeah, you know, like California just is, especially in California. I just feel like those guys are kind of running shit. The the, the and then outside of that the whole like dead city scene and all that shit going on in la like that is crazy to me dude those fucking like that whole punk rock scene where it's just like anyone can show up you know what i mean and those guys are living that shit they're they're definitely walking the walk as well uh just this gorilla fucking shows man that shit blew my mind when i saw it the first time you know especially when no one was having shows during covid and then LA comes out with these fucking, you know, cops flying around it and fireworks and bonfires. And it's like, oh, okay, damn, there's punk rock is still uh, very dangerous. And I, I was totally looking at that shit like a dad. They were like jumping over bonfires as I was exploding. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so dangerous. Where are their parents? You know, yeah. but it was rad. It scowl. Yeah. Oh, really good. Yeah. Over into the stuff that, like you know, like I was saying, the, the more punk oriented. Uh, it's 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 fun to watch that and and know that these kids are having the time of their lives, and uh, I hope that they're enjoying it. You know what I mean? I I hope that uh, I would say that to anyone you know, young, just enjoy being young. I saw a Section Hate in Buffalo like two months ago, and it didn't occur to me that they would bring the blowtorch gimmick with them to like a small oh. club like that, and I was like again a dad moment like uh that might not be the safest thing for them to have been doing or whatever you know and i was like right up front pretty much too so i would have had my face blown off first you know what i mean like where did they play in buffalo uh you know i don't know if you remember chris ring who, who booked all the shows there back in the day uh he's got a club there now called rec room uh, oh shit yeah so they he i mean he still books all the shit there he booked that one i'm pretty sure or yeah he definitely booked that one it was them and comeback kid and um oh, Probably a couple other bands. I don't know. It's been a long summer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, That's a good band. I like that kid's band before that, Nomads, too. That was like a really good, just dirty, crusty, uh, I don't know what to call it. But yeah, that shit was that shit was hard, too. Yeah. No, like you said, though, California is definitely killing it. And it's, it's, it's just crazy. Like, you put up, like, I, I did a top 10 list last year of, like, releases, and, like, half of it was California. You know what I mean? So it's just cool to see, like, they're kind of like doing and and it's and sonically too it's not like one sound like all the bands kind of have their own thing going you know what i mean so that's cool too i mean you know there are these little pockets of things that happen every now and then i mean it was baltimore a little bit ago i mean Baltimore, you know uh end it is that the name of the band and uh you know the turnstile and angel dust and trapped under ice and all that shit i mean this just have these little pockets of communities where people are it's a like again a very incestuous you know what i mean like um but it just works it's fucking cool man i love it i love seeing it i love knowing where bands are from i love the history of that i love understanding or uh, being taught to understand why things sound the way they do i love all the history of it i love being able to listen to people talk about these things 20 years later so one of one of my jobs in this uh in the last however many years i would roll pasta in this room 
in this restaurant by myself. It was a big ass window. People would come and sit like the, and watch me roll pasta in the restaurant. And it was, there's was a bunch of stories about that, but I was just, uh, for the most part, a lot of times I was by myself and, you know, I'd, you know, these, you would work these ridiculous shifts in restaurants, 12, 14, 18 hour shifts. And I would just listen to podcasts, listen to whole discographies of music, uh, but you know, so many good music podcasts, the, the, what is it, Javier and those kids uh, out in Orange County doing the Revelation Records uh, chronologically with the sickest guests, you know, Mike Judge and Ray Cabo and Porcel and Walter and like all those guys and hearing those stories and and comparing it with your own experience, uh, like just being like, holy fucking shit. You know, I look at like, I, I look at the kids touring now, I am like, damn, like, we just missed smartphones, which would have made life so much easier, you know? Uh, and then I think about them back then, you know, they didn't like our, they didn't have MapQuest. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I, I feel like I relate to it a little bit more. You know, we were calling from pay phones and, and things like that, like uh, driving with maps, like actual fucking maps. You have to get out and call the people, you know, from the, from the promoter or the club or where you're staying or whoever it was. Um, <laughs> I know the, the Buffalo story I'm sure so many bands have this exact same story going into Canada we would always have Andy Williams on uh, on hold you know what I mean like on call we'd like alright yo we're about to go into Canada we need you to if, they, if the Canadian border calls you you need to say that we're uh, about to come into Buffalo you know because we would go in through Windsor or whatever and, and then play in Canada but because uh, you know you had to have work permits and all that shit. That shit actually fucking blew the fuck up for us. We got busted doing that, and uh, we got denied access into Canada uh, for several years, uh, five years, and then uh, they re-denied mine. Um, not exactly sure why, but uh, like when I I was never able to go tech in Canada, I'd have to fucking fly to Albany or wherever they were going to come back through, or you know, or like Vermont or some shit. It 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 sucked. So, uh, yeah, I can't go to Canada. Fuck Canada. I can't either, so don't feel bad, I guess. <laughs> but for a much different reason and not a very good one. But... You know, Montreal's cool and all. And... Yeah, I went there what? once. But, right. um, yeah, my, my uh, brother, kind of like brother-in-law lives there, too. And I'm always just like, yeah, you guys have to come here. I'm not, uh... <laughs> not allowed. A good excuse to, to not see family. I'm actually not legally allowed in the country, so. Damn. True. But That's I love fun. Toronto, though. I miss it. So maybe one day things will uh, change, but I kind of doubt it. <laughs> um, but oh, um, I've kept you for so long, brother. Yeah. My, uh, I, I appreciate you talking. And uh, this has been really fun. It's again, like I said earlier, it's it's not something I think a ton about. The majority of my friends in you know, in the industry and whatnot don't know me from this part of my life. Uh, you know, a lot of them do, and a lot of them, uh, you know, but it, it's not like, you know, the majority of, of my coworkers are, uh, don't know about this shit. Like, you know, so it's fun to think about and talk about, and it's definitely uh, created who the fuck I am, you know, as a person for good or bad. It's, it's definitely been a major, major, probably the most impactful part of my life, and I'm very grateful for it. So it's fun to talk about and fun to bring those things up. So I appreciate it. 
and I've been really enjoying listening to the to your podcast as well. Uh, a lot of key figures in there, like you know, like the Ryan Hacks and the Chris Ring, and the, like like those are definitely people. Had a little black notebook where I kept all the numbers. You know what I mean? With with that Chris Ring, it, and you know, it's just funny to hear those names and be like, oh shit, yeah, for sure. Like we'd stay with Ryan and Rat Boy and Andy and uh, go to Mighty Taco and go to some racist ass bowling alley that had. Do you remember the bowling alleys in Buffalo? Like the shit segregated. Yeah. <laughs> we walked in and it was like all African Americans. We were like, oh, it's cool. And they took us to our lanes that we thought ended. And we walked through this wall. And it's like all white folks. Like, wow, that is fucking wild, man. Buffalo is a trip. I just remember watching another dude just get his ass beat in front of Mighty Taco one time, trying to find uh, Andy Williams' house. Yeah, I mean, we played. It's it's so funny when you talk about these things. Someone will be like, oh, have you been to? Cleveland? Have you been to Nashville? You know what I mean? Have you been to whatever Atlanta? I'm like, dog, I've been to Atlanta fucking 70 times. You know, like I've been to Buffalo 40 times. Like, yes, absolutely. I've been fucking everywhere. I've been everywhere except Hawaii, you know, and then forget all the other like the international shit. Um it's it's just a funny way to something uh, I, I guess I don't really take for granted, but I still kind of take for granted. You know, people don't get to do that. Anyway, bro, if you give me the chance, I'm just going to keep rambling. So I'll, I'll let you go. No, I appreciate you doing the interview. Um, uh, closing thought for me, I guess, is that I definitely associate pretty much any time I go on a road trip now, which is not that often, obviously having kids, but when we do, I still associate any city or any street I walk down with my memories from, you know, going to hardcore shows there, whether it's Boston or New York or Philly, whatever, you know, um, absolutely but i guess yeah just kind of wrapping up like you were saying um if you want to give any shout outs or anything like that i guess there's probably no no projects to plug right now or anything but um yo i have a whole album man i have a whole fucking uh you know i i still play and record music as a as a hobby so uh i have some uh thing in my head that i always talk about that i'm gonna go record it and write all these songs or record all the songs that i have written we'll see one of the kids from hawthorne heights uh Micah, he owns a studio. Uh, I I played in a couple bands after Twelve Tribes. I played in a band called Rats and Roaches, which had people from uh, Suffocate Faster and kids from uh, Empire of Rats, which was a band uh, out of Columbus that was super super heavy. It was kind of like this little all star lineup that we had at the time, and we recorded uh, some demos and put it out. And I I really liked it. Uh, one of my all time all time all time favorite bands, always is crowbar and uh that was my thing i was like i just want to play in a band that sounds like crowbar um uh, it was a sick band i liked it. it just didn't work out i didn't have the time i had kids and uh other people you know had careers and whatnot and um but uh all right here's my shout out and it's not even uh i don't need i mean i don't imagine that anyone's even gonna get to the end of this but i'm gonna tell a really quick story and it's uh it's, it's, it's kind of heavy. I don't know what it is. So uh, at the end of this European tour, man, we uh, we were struggling. Uh, my mother at the time was very, very sick. She was in the hospital. I was in Europe. Uh, my family uh, had not told me that because they didn't want me to know. And I was under a lot of stress when I found that out. I was like, fuck, this is crazy. Because uh, we had just played in London and the uh, ferret 
London crew. So it was like, uh, they did like metal blade and they did ferret and they did something else over there. And it was these guys that, uh, were just fucking wasted. And, uh, we didn't have any press. We didn't, I was like, we're in one of the biggest cities in the world. We, we're not doing any press. We're not doing any of this. Our record's not selling. This kid's no one says we can find it. I was very frustrated. We were having problems with, uh, not problems, but we were having a weird communication with Howard at the time. We didn't even talk about Howard and our management and all that stuff. Uh, it, it is what it is. Howard is a fucking great dude. He helped us out a whole lot. Uh, but uh, at the time, it was just weird, and it was the it was the beginning of the end. And so I gave this interview, and uh, to this day, one of the biggest regrets I have. And I was like, dude, fucking ferret is not doing their job i didn't say fuck ferret but i was like man, this shit fucking sucks and man i was just very frustrated and uh relatively young and uh just said it into a some european kid with a you know with a tape recorder and those guys heard it and they were uh they were bummed out uh understandably those guys i mean ferret you know carl put us up in his home they had done, they'd gone above and beyond for us in terms financially. They'd uh, given us opportunities when our record wasn't even selling that good that maybe they shouldn't have, you know what I mean? Uh, they bought our publishing for us so that we could afford to go on another tour, which no one's ever going to fucking, they're not going to make any money off that publishing. But uh, that's a, it's not so much a shout out, but it's like, uh, damn. It's a huge regret, man. I really felt bad. Those guys changed my life in such a positive way. And uh, that's something that always bothers me when I think about it. So if they ever get uh, two hours and 30 minutes into, <laughs> into this podcast with uh, some kid whose record they put out 20 years ago, sorry. I didn't mean it. Love you guys. And uh, I appreciate everything you did for me. Sorry that I fucked them. It was ungrateful uh, in an interview. That's it. Yeah. Uh, anything else, you know, just shout out to anyone that sits through this and listens to it. Uh, appreciate it. Thank you for doing this. And I hope your uh, daughter feels better. I know that's stressful having the, the babies not feel good when they can't articulate it. Yeah, that shit sucks. Definitely. Uh, we're closer to the two hour mark than two and a half, too. But uh, oh, I, I, I think that's. I think well, that's a good way to wrap things up, though. And I, uh, I appreciate you. I appreciate Andy for taking the time for doing the interview tonight. Um, as always, I want to say thanks to Rob Antonucci, Greg Benoit, and Jim Byrne for all the help with the podcast and my family for supporting it. As always, um, uh, next episode will be out in the next couple of days. Uh, see everybody real soon and stay safe. Um.